Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about incarnational living, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you guys are back with us. Dave, how you doing? Doing well. You're wearing a t-shirt, which means something. Yes. The weather is arising. Nice. It's nice out. Temperatures Actually, going up. Yesterday was the first day it got a little humid for me. Like, there's a very fine line for me. It goes from too cold to immediately, like, where is the air conditioner? You spend eight months complaining. It's true. You enjoy one day, and then the it's sec- next day you're like, ah, oh, it's yeah. too hot around here. Oh, seriously. After church yesterday, I got in the car with uh, my oldest daughter, Lilia, who turned 11. And uh, first thing I did was turn the AC on. Mm. High well, blast. We Yesterday was the first day that uh, our kids were in the pool. And my kids joined your kids. Your kids you know that? Because you weren't there. I did find out. I saw the Instagram post. Yeah. 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 yeah first day in the pool. So, uh, and uh, we, it's been, the weather's been a little brutal, though, for us. It's been downpour, rain, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't mow the lawn because the grass is so wet. Can't play. Girls can't be able to play soccer. It's been, it's been brutal. But hopefully we'll get a little burst of sun here for a while and enjoy the outdoors. And wherever you're listening from, we hope the weather is lovely. Yes, we do. And before we continue, I just want to, you know, we want to be real on this podcast, and I need to feel like I need to expose my brother David here for <laughs> something that he did, um, and he wronged me, because my feeling is that our listeners may have a, you know, um, just an unhealthy love and view for you, and I want them to see the real you at times, your brokenness, your weakness, your sinfulness. And so I was not at church yesterday where David... Speaking of brokenness and sinfulness. <laughs> I was I was speaking at another church, but David was preaching, and he shared a story about how he wronged me, his friend, and he had never told me this, and I had to find out secondhand. And so, Dave, I think you should share with the listeners this story because I think it's important. Yeah, well, this kind of actually ties into David's Eats because it involves one of the best things I've eaten recently. Oh, should we do a little pre-show David's Eats? Sure. Okay. Let's cue it up. All right. So there's a sandwich shop in Syracuse called Darwin's, um, and they they basically make five different sandwiches every day. One is steak, one is pork, one is chicken, one is veggie, and one is fish or seafood. And it changes a little bit from day to day, and you can uh, you can um, change the toppings a little bit. But basically, you get these pre-made sandwiches. So you and I went, and I was like, let's go have these. Um, I ordered the steak, you ordered the fish, and we're like, we get to try both. And I admitted yesterday in my, serv- my sermon on generosity, ironically enough, that <laughs> when I opened up my sandwich, I realized that whoever had cut it had not really cut it evenly. And so I slid you the smaller half. But honestly, like, I know you've been trying to lose weight, and that was really oh, like, that yes. was... That was true friendship. Like, for me to, like, take the calories away from you, it's sort of like Jesus taking our sins away from us. So, <laughs> wow. So let's just um, wow. Let's call it what it was, an act of sacrifice. Well, thank ultimate you. Ultimate sacrifice. Thank you, part. yes. I, I appreciate that sacrifice and looking out for my waistline. Um, my kids appreciate Someone has it to. as well. Yeah, right. thank you. Man, well, we're back. We're, uh, we're excited uh, to, to dive back into some of these 10 characteristics of a healthy church or ministry mm-hmm. and if you've not listened to some of the previous episodes, we've been uh, each each podcast episode we've been looking at uh, one of our ten characteristics that we were a part of a, a group that helped create these. And um, this is not an exhaustive list, of course, and um, maybe not even a perfect list, but it's a list that we think is really helpful for churches and leaders 
um, to to look at either their church or their ministry, and uh, and even some of these I think really apply in the business world as well. Mm-hmm. And so we've been looking at uh, a different one each episode, and we're going to continue that today. So give us a little heads up. What are we going to be looking at today? Yeah. So one of the characteristics of a healthy church is incarnational living. And uh, let me read the definition a couple times just so we can wrap our minds around it. Incarnational living is embracing our identity as the people of God sent to our community for the purposes of God, bringing spiritual and social renewal. So let me read that again. Incarnational living is embracing our identity as the people of God sent to our community for the purposes of God, bringing spiritual and social renewal. So let's just start with the word incarnational. It's not a word that we use a lot, and actually it's a word that tends to get only referenced in a specific time of the year. But when you hear the word incarnation, incarnational, what do you think of? So for me, when I think of it, I I think of the idea of am I bringing Jesus to the places that I go because of who I am and how he lives in me and, and through me versus do I bring people to where Jesus is, i.e. the church or the service or whatever. And so it's the idea of me being the representation and living out my mission, my identity, who he is. I'm going to allow that to live through me where I go versus the concept being um, Jesus or God exists in a building called this church and I'll bring people to it so they can encounter him. Yeah. So the sort of the etymology or the source of even this term is the idea of the incarnation of Christ, of course, right? Yeah. And I, I, for, I think incarnation comes from a Greek word that means something like in the flesh, uh, the idea that Jesus came to us, that he didn't say, here's how you can make your way to me, but I'm going to make my way to you. And he wrapped himself in flesh. He wrapped himself in the human experience. And he came, as John uh, chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh, that's the incarnation, and he dwelled among us, or as Eugene Peterson says in the message, he moved into the neighborhood. Hmm. And so I love that because that imagery helps us to think through, all right, so um, who is Christ? How does that inform what our mission is? And then once we have a sense of what our mission is as the people of Jesus, the people of God, then it informs what does it look like to be a church, to, to actually live it out. So an, a, maybe a more complicated um, theological termy way of saying this is our, our Christology, informs our missiology, which then informs our ecclesiology. And sometimes okay, we break, don't... break that down real so quick. So our Christology, who is Jesus, informs our missiology, why are we here, which informs our ecclesiology, what does it mean to be the people of God? Mm. And so um, if we understand that Jesus' model of ministry was one of incarnational living, then when you wh- wh- everything you just said about how you think of incarnational, um, the word incarnational, is not simply sort of a philosophy of ministry that you came up with by reading books or even just studying best practices. It's informed first and foremost by the person and work of Jesus, right? Yeah, Yeah, the gospel, as it transforms our heart and our identity and who we are, also transforms our mission and the directedness of our life, what our life is all about. All right, so it's one thing to talk about these in concept and theory and philosophy. It's another thing to say, how does this actually look in a church? And Mm -hmm. you're our senior pastor of the fastest growing church called Trinity in Liverpool, New York. Well, or Clay, Clay, Clay. There you go. Clay, New York. Sorry. It is your um, church after all. You should know where it's located. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Liverpool, so sorry I said that. Um, but yeah, some have said the fastest growing church named Trinity. And uh, don't fact check because that could be wrong. But 
It's probably true now because there used to be right around the corner from us a Trinity Methodist. Okay. But they've changed their name, so I think it's we got it. Safe we got it. Yeah. Okay. So you, as a senior pastor, I know this is really important to you. Um, how does this How does this move beyond philosophy and into practice? What does this actually look like yeah. in a local church? Well, it doesn't get there without a lot of teaching and culture shaping. Right. Mm. And so I think the default mode of a local church culture, especially maybe a church that has existed for years, um, is we're a gathering people. Right. And that's in line with scripture. The church gathers. But um, and I did a sermon series uh, a few years back on the church. And my first the first message in the series was be the church that gathers. But then the second message was be the church that scatters. And so it takes this continual teaching and conversation and language about what does it mean to be the people of God? So sort of disabusing people of the mentality of church as a building, church as a location versus church as an identity, that we're the people of God. Seeing the mission of God in every text that you teach and being able to teach from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that the nature of our God is that he's a mission God, he's ascending God, right? So we started earlier in this conversation with the incarnation of Jesus, but that's halfway, that's more than halfway through the Bible. It actually starts way sooner, right? Even in uh, the garden, Jesus, God comes to Adam and Eve, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, it's not like they mess up and he says, hey, you guys messed up. Now jump through this hoop, jump through this hoop, and find me over here. I'm hiding. You come to me. They were hiding. He came to him. So right from the beginning, mm-hmm. God is seeking us out. Then when he calls Abraham, he calls him in. He draws him in to send him out. And Keller has talked about this before, that God always draws us in to send us out. And there's something yeah. almost aborted about our identity when we only get drawn into a gathering environment without the ultimate purpose is to be sent out the covenant god blessed to be a blessing right and so you see this throughout the entirety of scripture so as a lead pastor i'm always looking for teaching points in any text in any message to remind us of our identity that we're the people of god that live on the mission of god for the glory of god and so trying to communicate that over and over and over and try to raise up leaders who think that way too so that's sort of i think where it starts as far as faithfully teaching the scriptures through a missiological lens that leads you to help people think incarnationally because we don't naturally. We tend to be more consumers than we are contributors. So that's one place that it starts. And then Mm -hmm. as you start to move beyond that, I think it's looking even at the programming that the church offers, um, how, how full our calendars are, what we're asking our leaders to commit to in the name of the local church. So right. you, of course, have served in a local church for many years. What have you seen over the years about how churches can maybe unintentionally program, uh, and, and uh, to use this as a verb, calendar in a way that can maybe work against incarnational living? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about as you're talking. Uh, so as a church and pastors, we, um, we, we want the people in our church, who let's say young families, for example, we want them to be. We want them to succeed in their jobs. We want them to do well in their positions. We want them to succeed in their marriages, which, of course, each one of those things takes an incredible amount of time and energy and effort. We want them to succeed as parents, right? We're we're talking about them being more invested in their kids and discipling their kids, which takes time and energy. We then now want them to succeed in their volunteering in the different ministries that we have, mm-hmm. and we want them to be the best volunteers, which takes time and energy. And 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 the list goes on and on. And now we do outreach 
we do different outreaches. We want them to be there. We want them. To, and before you know it, it's, it becomes, if we took a step back and actually looked at it, it becomes impossible for them to succeed at all of these things. And so by default, what they end up doing, because this is what's celebrated, and you spoke to culture, this is the culture that's created, they end up disengaging from activity in the community and viewing that as an important mission and they engage only in activities that happen within a church building or that are programmed by the church. And so we don't allow enough time in people's lives to participate in the community. You know, mm-hmm. so what would it look like instead of someone being a children's worker in our children's church to, for us to encourage them to sign up and be a soccer coach in the local league with with the mentality not just to teach soccer well but also to love on kids who may not have a great home and to to be a an example of who Christ is to these kids in our community and to support the parents who are in the community to build relationships. Yeah. The problem is we don't celebrate that and we also yeah. don't create time for it. Yeah. You know what you said there at the end is so important. We don't celebrate it. We celebrate and I'm thinking even now about what we do at Trinity. So every week in our announcement video, we celebrate one family, couple, or individual who serves. And that's just a big part of who we are. We want to say thank you. Yeah. We want to honor people. But now as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking the things that we mention when we celebrate them is what they do inside the walls of the church. And maybe we need to think about how do we celebrate the things they're doing in the community, um, whether it's at the workplace, whether it's in their schools. and I mean, part of... You know, the, the, to go back to the definition, incarnational living is embracing our identity as the people of God sent to our community. So God is ascending God, right? The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit now to us within us because we are a sent people. Well, what are we sent for? And the definition talks about the purposes of God. Ultimately, one of the simplest ways to define the purpose of God is that the kingdom of heaven would be, or that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that speaks to a lot more than just spiritual renewal and being right with God, although it certainly speaks to that. It speaks to this idea of social renewal mm-hmm. and working for the good. As Jer- the prophet Jeremiah told the people of Israel who were in exile, hey, you're going to be here a little while, so plant gardens. And one of the things that he said was work for the good of the city. And I think as a church, uh, for a lot of times we've created a dichotomy between gospel declaration and gospel demonstration. We need both. The gospel needs to be heard, but the gospel also needs to be seen. Right. In your experience, what is the va- what are the mistakes people make when they swing to one end or the other? I know some people might call the, the, the gospel being declared a personal evangelism approach and the gospel being demonstrated a social justice approach, which I think is unf- maybe unfair. Those are terms probably used by people who are trying to attack the other side. Sure. But is there a way to bring those together, and what are the dangers of pitting them against each other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's it's essential, and so I'll, I'll touch on the evangelism piece first. I think we would do well, and this would help with this conversation, to teach people um, more about what it means to make disciples than it does to give them a, an evangelism tool, you know? So we spend a lot of time teaching people, okay, here's a, here's a technique to be able to share the gospel or use Roman's Road or whatever the latest thing is, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and that's fine. But I think in our culture, in our society today, if we could teach people how to become better friends and, um, and make disciples, we would be much better served. And that actually happens 
a lot easier when you're serving people. Yeah. And when people who are far from God see that you actually care about the community that you live in with them, you care about them. Making disciples is a lot easier. And so um, so with that, I, I think the social gospel piece, when we have just that, right, when it's just about meeting needs, but there's no introduction of who Christ is and there's no moving towards that, to me, it's it's giving people something that is helpful, but it's not the ultimate. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's a little helpful, but it's not the ultimate, the best helpful, the thing that will actually. And, and the way I think about it, when you, if you think about identity mission, is everyone in the world who doesn't know Jesus is desperately in search of identity, value, and worth. Helping introduce them to who Jesus is for the first time in their life gives them that sense of ultimate value and worth. It frees them. That's the greatest gift that we can give. So although food and water and clothing and and, and just making our community a better place is important, it's essential. If it doesn't have that piece, then you kind of get to the end of the day and you go, "Did we really help them?" You know. Mm. So I think they've got to be, they've got to be merged. Yeah, it's easy to see. Um, it's easy, I think, sometimes to look at gospel demonstration as a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Like we will serve our community if they give us the opportunity to hand out invitation cards to our church. And that's one of the biggest things with incarnational living and is moving from invitational thinking to incarnational living, right? So yeah. um, I think we need to be inviters because that's a pattern in Scripture, the come and see, right? But it's not just come and see in my church service, but it's come and see in my life, come and see in my home, come and see in my kitchen, come and see at the coffee shop. So this idea that, like, you know, we churches use language like be a bringer, which means bring someone with you to church or, you know, invite your friends out. There's absolutely nothing wrong. But when that's the only thing people hear, that's pretty much all they think they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it's not be a bringer. It's be a goer. Like, yeah. go out and, uh, and, and live on mission in your community and find places where there's felt needs. And as God has gifted you, meet those needs and serve faithfully, work for the good of the city, make your community a better place to live, which is a big part of the vision of our church is like, we want to make clay a better place to live. So there's a couple elementary, just to get really practical, there's a couple elementary schools near our church. And last year, our leadership said, we want to serve these schools because we just think that they're an important part of the fabric of our community. And so I reached out to the principals of both the elementary schools, and I said, next year in our budget, we have set aside $1,000 for your school, and it's for you to spend to do things that you don't have room in your budget to do above and beyond. And we're not going to police what you do with it. You simply just send me an Amazon link to what you want. We'll track internally how much money we're spending to serve you, and you can spend up to $1,000 during the next calendar year. And that's just our – and when they would say, why would you do this, we would simply say, we love our community and we want it to be the best place to live. Yeah, We want it to be a better place to live, and we think this is one way. So one of the schools has already reached out. We've purchased them everything they need to start a chess club. You know, these, most schools are underfunded, right. and they want to do things like that, but they don't have, you know, it's not a lot of money. It was a few hundred bucks for them to start their chess club to get all their supplies and all the books and all the training material. But now they have like a full-blown chess club that they will last there hopefully for years to come. And we got to be a part of that and, and helping the community become a better place to live. And we want to be the type of church that if we had a shutdown tomorrow, the community would 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 notice yeah. and worry and mm-hmm. wonder what are we going to do now yeah i don't know that that's the reputation of a lot of churches across our country you know that the communities actually look to the church and say they're a really important part of the fabric of our society and if they weren't here we'd have major gaps in our ability to 
be a great place to live. Yeah, that's certainly not the default mindset of our culture anymore. It's the opposite. So churches have to, I think, work harder at creating that. All right, we've got a few more minutes, and I want to ask you a question about this because the majority of people in our churches are they're working, they're, uh, they're business owners, they're educators, they're in the workforce, they're not pastors. Um, <clears throat> how do you teach and create a culture for the people in your church about what it means to be an employee, mm. an emboss, a boss, how to run, what, what are the gospel incarnational missional impact of uh, being a business owner? How does that affect the way that we operate? Because um, obviously I think that's a huge component of this. People are at work a huge majority of their time. Yeah, I think it's one of the more underdeveloped conversations in most evangelical churches, having a, having a biblically informed theology of work. For a lot of people, work is simply like, um, if you're lucky, find something you love doing and then use that money to support the kingdom and try to evangelize people at work, right? I mean, that's kind of like... And hold on until you can retire. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's kind of the um, the whole picture that's presented sometime. But work is, uh, you know, I've actually preached a, a whole message on work and done talks on work, so it's something I'm passionate about. Um, and it starts all the way back in Genesis chapter t- 2, right, where um, Adam and Eve are created and they're told to work the garden cultivate the garden, care for and tend the garden. And one of the things we have to notice is that this is before the fall, right? So work is not a result of sin. Now, work being as difficult and stressful and unsatisfying as it is, that is part of the, the effect of sin in the fall, right? But the actual command, the actual directive to work and to do good work is before the fall, which means that work is one way that we bear the the image of God, right? Because God reveals himself in Genesis chapter 1 primarily as a working God, mm-hmm. creatively at work, manually at work, you know, uh, work verbally, um, working in ways that are constructive, right? And, and construction and, and right. supporting the, Creating things. Yeah, the life structure, yeah. right? And so here's God. He's a working God. We're created to bear his image. And in a way, the way you look at Genesis chapter 2, it's like God creates all this stuff. He has this garden, and he's like, well, who's going to work this? And then he's like, there's no one to work the garden. So then he creates Adam and Eve. And I don't want to make too much of it, but you know, it certainly implies that a significant reason that we were created was to bear God's image through the good work that we do. So work matters. It makes yeah. a big difference. And, by the way, if we worked before the fall, we're going to do some sort of work in the new kingdom. Don't you say it. I'll let you think about it, but... It's not going to be sitting on a cloud strumming harps. We're going to continue to, to make art, to, to, to build stuff, to, I mean, but, but, you know, with perfect brains and with perfect I hope to be a drive through attendant at Chick-fil-A in the new heavens and new earth. I feel like that's a pretty sweet job. That sounds like a fair reward for your, for your faithfulness. <laughs> um, so here's two, here's two mistakes people make with work, and I'll be quick. One is they endure work or they adore work, right? So one is enduring work is not seeing its value, not seeing how it's actually uh, worshiped to God. Your work should be worshiped to God. Um, it doesn't. You don't see how your work can make your community a better place to live. Uh, Scott Sauls, a pastor, author, said that any work that leaves people, places, and things better than uh, it found them is work that should be celebrated as good work, right? So doing good work. Somebody said, often Martin Luther gets attributed with this quote, but I don't think it was him, that a Christian shoemaker does his Christian responsibility, carries out his Christian responsibility, not by putting little crosses on shoes, but by making good shoes. Mm. Great shoes, because God loves great craftsmanship. And your neighbor needs good shoes, too. So when you're doing quality work with excellence and skill, it honors God because it bears his image well, 
and it helps others. So that, that mentality of how much work means to God helps us not endure work. On the other hand, we can't adore work because we can't use our work to give us identity. And again, to, give, to go back to your uh, kind of two paired up words, identity and mission. If our identity is nothing more than our ability to work and produce, then our mission becomes nothing more than succeeding and climbing the ladder and having a successful mm. career. And so there's, there's, there's those two opposite but equal errors, enduring work, undervaluing it, adoring work, overvaluing it. The way out of enduring work is to see how much God values our work, but the way out of adoring work is to see how much God values you. Yeah. Again, we go back to Genesis, and like after the fall, the first thing Adam and Eve do is they take the very materials that they were created to work and care for, and they try to use that to cover their sin and their shame. They try to make an outfit, right, out of leaves. That's the same thing we do now with work. We try to cover ourselves, cover our inadequacies with the work that we do. But ultimately, Jesus or God in Genesis 3 provides for them covering through the shedding of blood, which foreshadows what Christ came to do for us. That's how much mm. God values you. So it frees you from adoring work because now you have something, someone uh, better to adore. So, you know, obviously I think about this a lot. I'm passionate about it. But this is part of incarnational living, living on mission in your workplace, not just not just showing up and clocking in and clocking out. Right. And I think we we as pastors need to teach the people in our church to think about their jobs in that way, that if you're an employee, what does it mean for you to live incarnationally when you show up to work? And like you said, when you clock in. What, how does that change the way you mm-hmm. operate? Um, how does that change the way you talk to your other employees? How does it change the way you your work ethic is? You shouldn't be lazy, right? We should be the hardest workers. We should be the most encouraging. We should be the ones who who when we do when we say we're going to do something, we do it. I mean, yeah. it should change the way that we work. But but also, if you're a boss, how does that change the way you treat your employees? How does does it change the way? financially you take care of them does it change the way we think about money and resources i mean in my mind christian christian business owners should be some of the best businesses to work for mm-hmm. and work at um now what that how that looks like is up for them to decide but i think we should be thinking about that that as a christian business owner my business is not just here to make me rich or to make money it's here to enrich the lives of people and to make my community a better place and i think that'd be a game changer if people really started thinking that way and I think that's a lot of like having a kingdom mindset, right? When we reduce the gospel to simply who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, and we forget that it's also a Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. When we realize it's about a kingdom that God wants to establish, yes, heaven and hell, yes, but also God's establishing a kingdom, um, then it helps us realize there's a whole new set of values. Yeah. What are the values of God's kingdom? And to run a business by values of justice, kindness, um, care for those who are struggling and suffering, fairness, excellence. Um, those are all powerful values that can inform the way that somebody lives out their life, whether it's in work, you know, of course, being a great worker, being a great boss, but even to dial it down to everybody's level, those who maybe don't work out and about just being a good neighbor and yeah. just knowing who your neighbors are, being there for them, being in their lives. Like, Man, if you're if you're if you're a Christ follower and you're in church every single time the doors are open, but your neighbors don't know you or anything about you, um, I don't know that that's really all that God has for us. Yeah, I agree. Well, everybody, we did the David's eats at the beginning, so uh, if if that's steak, all you care about, steak sandwich with fried green tomatoes on it, mm. just to be more detailed this time around. Yes, and then um, it was on a stretch bread from a famous bakery in Syracuse called Pastas Pastabilities, but their bakery is called Pastas, 
And then there was other stuff on it. You want to talk about your sandwich? Or yours was good too. Yeah, not as good. I got the seafood. It was uh, it was fried. I think it was fried haddock mm-hmm. with also what was the other thing on there? Crab cake, right? Oh yeah, a Maryland style crab cake. And then a whole bunch of other like and a really good. What was your bread? It was different, but it was so good. good a sesame, sesame seed, bun. sesame seed. Yeah. yeah, so it was pretty legit. We enjoyed ourselves. I wish I could have had more. Now I found out why, um, because David gave me the shorter half. But you're looking fit though. No, that's not true. <laughs> but anyway, it was a great meal, uh, guys. We hope you enjoyed. This is a multiply podcast. Go ahead and give us a like, a review, five stars on iTunes, share it. It'll help us get the word out. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time.